Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad you we're here with you, and you're here with us on this Tuesday when we're going to be talking about the uh, automated commercial environment having to do with uh, imports and exports and the, uh, actually around the world. But before we get to that topic, I'd like to uh, see how my co-host is doing and uh, what we've got in uh, last week's show and uh, Lou's news. Lou, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. Um, I was just came back from uh, my favorite city, Washington, D.C., the home of the criminals. Um, and I had a nice weekend down there at Cherry Blossom time. been suffering a little bit from uh, allergies from that. But uh, good weekend all in all. Thanks for asking. So um, getting right down to it, um, the uh, news items, which really aren't news items uh, today. I'm just kind of looking over some uh, progress in various uh, industries and so on. You know, the all of these debates and town halls and, you know, they, they basically don't talk about manufacturing. I, I've listened to all but two of the debates and town halls and they've only mentioned manufacturing now, I think it's 17 times and only once that, not a discussion, but Hillary went on a roll, and uh, that was the extent of it. Meanwhile, I, I went and I got some uh, in, what I thought was some very interesting facts, uh, you know, about what they what they all talk about or don't talk about in regards to manufacturing, and they sort of treat the manufacturing sector as the stepsister of the economy, which is really quite uh, ironic in view of the fact that. Manufacturing in its totality represents more than a third of the GDP, and they they treat it like it doesn't even exist. So uh, I found I found that this, uh, sort of uh, interesting, and uh, they don't obviously they don't give it its uh, its proper proper respect. Um, all in all. Um, the employment on uh, manufacturing, uh, there are two sets of numbers out there. One is 12% of uh, our workforce is uh, in manufacturing, and uh, uh, MAPI uh, has come out with a number all-inclusive of people in manufacturing, and that number is around 35%, which is the same number as the percent for GDP. So I think it's time that they start treating the, the topic with a certain reverence and uh, they, they just don't. And uh, I, I think it's, and for that matter, neither does uh, mainstream uh, media. Um, our, our, our employment numbers though, since 2000 has dropped from 17 million to about 12 million. However, we have right now 6 million open jobs in the economy in the manufacturing sector. So we have actually available jobs more than we have. Uh, technically speaking, we have um, we are within 3% of where we were prior to the 2008 uh, Great Recession, as it's now called. 
And uh, so things are things are cooking. And, uh, you know, all the rhetoric about taking jobs to China and imposing tariffs uh, uh, aren't necessarily all true. And it's not all necessarily relevant to uh, for them to be even using these numbers and facts, because for the most part, the candidates don't have all the facts. They don't know all of what they're talking about. And um, in some of the debates, in some of the debates in town halls, I was doing my own fact checking, and um, they really are not on top of the mark. But manufacturing is uh, is strong. Um, the uh, Institute of Supply Management is showing that even though the 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 um, sectors are still in contraction mode, they're improving. And uh, matter of fact, next week we'll have. Uh, Brad Holcomb of the Institute of Supply Management on, and we'll get the real numbers. In regards to uh, our other company, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, we actually have seen uh, quite a bump in the last five, six weeks. So I think that we are heading in the right direction. Uh, They always said that an election year is good for uh, business. So far, that hasn't happened, and I'm wishful thinking and hope it comes to fruition. And uh, I hope that we don't have any more debates in town halls. I'm about fed up with those. Um, but an interesting byproduct of, of the manufacturing sector, of course, is the aerospace industry, which uh, is uh, Boeing is our largest exporter in the United States. That's huge. And uh, Airbus is the second largest manufacturer of aircraft in Europe. Um, and they are in in a mode to be producing over the next 20 years the United States uh, 10,000 aircraft, um, Europe another 10,000, and China another 20,000. So there's going to be 40,000 aircraft built in the next uh, 25 years. So uh, that's going to be a hot uh, hot basis of our economy, and uh, that's going to certainly help the southeast and Georgia and Alabama and the Carolinas, uh, north and south. It's going to help uh, the southeast. Uh, It's even going to help Mexico. Uh, There's 400 companies, aerospace companies now in uh, northwest uh, Mexico. So... um, it seems as though things are moving along, and uh, uh, um, we're looking forward to uh, a continued growth in that area. Um, and as far as our last week's show, uh, we did have um, – um, we did discuss a reshoring initiative. Uh, we had uh, Rosemary Coates, who is the executive director of Reshoring Institute, uh, really an interesting show uh, talking about how to get jobs and how to get manufacturing and industry back into the United States. And it was a, uh, a spirited conversation, and she tells people how, how to do that. So that uh, I, I suggest that you go to Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com, and listen to uh, – that show or any one of the other 140 shows that we have there. So, um, Tim, I'm going to pass it off to you. 
Thanks, Lou. Uh, today we have two guests on our show who were on our show previously talking about the automated commercial environment. And just uh, after we had that initial show, there was a postponement of the implementation date. So we asked them to come back and give us an update. We have Celeste Catano, who's Senior Global Strategist at Keywell. For those of you who are not uh, familiar with that company, um, we can have uh, Celeste uh, bring us all up to speed on what those folks do. But they're a multimodal transportation management and supply chain execution software. And we have Amy Magnus, who's Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer. Uh, Celeste, welcome to the show. Amy, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm not sure who I should go to first, so, so let me just ask a question. And and uh, one of the two of you who uh, are probably the most familiar with it will jump in. Uh, where is the automated commercial environment today? Is it uh, What's the new date for implementation, and how is it going? Well, the... Um the changes that were supposed to be into effect on February 28th, Customs basically split that out into um, three different deliverables uh, because at that point, um, you know, everybody in the trade and Customs realized that there was um, too many issues that still needed to be resolved. And so they basically broke it out into three, three sections. So um, actually this week on Thursday, the 31st, we have the first set of deliverables um, and um, – and mandatory use of the A system um, for a certain um, section of the um, entry processing or the shipments. Um, and then later in May, we have another set of, of um, dates that will then increase the amount of work um, that needs to be done then. And then there's again in, in July and then possibly October after that. So they've basically flattened it out and kind of spread it out throughout the whole year. Um, okay. So, Amy, who are the first people who are going to be affected? Well, I think really the software programs like programmers like Celeste are the first ones to be affected. But then closely following their development of the software are the customs brokers like myself who will have to now reach out to all of our clients who are importing and exporting into the United States and clue them in to what is going to be required, specifically what is going to be required for us to be able to file the proper uh, data that, that they need to have filed in advance of arrival of uh, any importation into the United States or of the departure of any goods from the United States. So customs brokers have traditionally, in my opinion, of course it's easy for me to say because I am a customs broker, but in my opinion, even before I was a, bro a broker, I always believed that customs brokers were the primary key to making automation happen between traders, the government, and um, any other parties who are involved in an import or export transaction. Without the work that the brokers provide, I really don't think that that customs in the United States would be as advanced as they are right now in their automated commercial system. I don't think that they would have been successful as they have been up to this point, even though it has been, I, I think, a rather, a rather difficult walk for those of us who are involved in this, in this readiness to send all of the data in the format that 
customs and the participating government agencies are requiring. Even though it's been an arduous and difficult task, I really don't believe that we would be as far along as we are, as close to the deadline as we currently are, without the hard work of the um, of the customs brokers who have basically worked shoulder to shoulder with the government to make sure that this is successful. And, and I want to just step back for a minute because really what we're looking at is a situation not just in the United States but globally. And while I know that U.S. manufacturers need and want their jobs, many of U.S. manufacturers would not be able to manufacture without the, the smooth flow of commercial transactions in and out of the United States for components, for parts, for, uh, for any type of um, equipment or any other things that the United States or outside the United States. We have to have something available to accommodate the liberalized trade that we have in, on the global arena. And we can accomplish that through automation. And despite the fact that it's been a difficult road and we all like to criticize ACE when we're in the thick of battle, the truth is that when this system is stood up, it's probably going to be one of the most sophisticated capturers of trade data that has ever existed the amount of information that is being funneled into the U.S. government which can be used to accumulate <coughs> trade statistics and really study what is coming in and out of the United States with a greater level of precision than has ever been available to them before, I think is noteworthy. It's something that is we all need to stand back and look at this. In a world that we exist in now, where we have the, the benefits or the curse, depending on where you stand, of the Internet, and the capability of what computers can produce, just the mere, the awesome processing capabilities that we have through automation. And then you couple that with liberalized trade and, and e-commerce and what our future might look like without a really good program to capture all of this information and have it available for analysis, I think would be, would be a hardship on the United States. But because we do have this, because we are going to have a, an incredible program, I really think, as much as it's been really awful trying to get there, when I step back and I look what we've achieved in the past few years in standing up ACE, I think that it is going to, it's going to help traders and hopefully also help our economy. For the sake of our listeners, can we go back a couple of pages and talk about what the old system was like? Because I'm not sure if, if the marketplace understands what the necessity for what you're doing now with ACE as to what you had before and you know the complexities and the number of departments and uh, information that many islands of information. If you could give that to us, I'd appreciate that. Just very quickly, I can tell you that under the old system, which we call ACS, not ACE, we were transmitting trade information, and we were certainly transmitting the information that customs needed to do its trade analysis. What we were not transmitting electronically in the old system were what we call the participating government agency type data. 
there are many government agencies, I think 47 is the right number, Celeste can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are many government agencies that have oversight over goods that are being imported into the United States. For example, the Food and Drug, um, Consumer Product Safety, Environmental Protection Agency, um, you, there are many, and I can't name them all because I don't have the list in front of me. But these agencies were collecting their data, with the exception of FDA, these agencies were collecting their data for the most part in the form of a paper transaction. So while we brokers were submitting electronic information through the old system, ACS, we were submitting very little, if any, automated data or information describing goods that are subject to other government agency requirements. Now, with ACE, we are enhancing the number or the amount of data that we are transmitting through the single window, which is now what we're calling ACE. So we're transmitting not just data that the Customs Service and the Census needs to look at trade statistics, but also information that these various government agencies need to make determinations as to whether or not the goods are admissible and the nature of the goods with a higher degree of specificity that we have ever done in the past. And I, I think that's probably, from my point of view, the key difference. So that's probably you look at it with the programmer's eye, but as a, as a user and uh, a transmitter of information, that's probably the key difference I see between the new system and the old system. Yeah, definitely. So what kind of challenge was it to uh, come up with a software uh, program to uh, integrate 47 different agencies into one? Well, we we were it, it definitely was a challenge um because unfortunately each they they all all the agencies started with a base um set of of requirements and how they how we're supposed to send the data and whatever but what ended up happening was each agency took that set of requirements and made it their own um so for each agency we have to program um different screens different you know um ways of sending that data to customs so essentially we had um I mean, fortunately, uh, from the programming side, it wasn't all 47 agencies that we have electronic data for. It's more like 15, 17. Um, and so for each of those agencies, you know, we had to come up with um, separate screens for, to capture the data so that, and then um, add in edits and validations so that people, we would make sure that people put the data in proper uh, before we would send that off to customs. Um, so, uh, yeah, with the... Um, as we were, we were talking a little bit a few minutes ago, the, with the um, changes that are coming in for this week, um, those are particularly, the, there's only two agencies that are absolutely required for um, this week, and those are um, the National Highway Safety, I can't remember the acronym, NHTSA. The National <laughs> um, Transporta Highway Transportation, Transportation Safety Administration. Thank you. I always get that one confused. And the other one is um, um, APHIS which is the um, Lacey Act, which is basically anything with, um, with wood products. Um, basically, it's to make sure that um, you're not you know, importing anything with endangered wood, um, you know, that type of thing. Um, so those two agencies, any shipments coming in um, after, after, um, after Thursday, 
um, we have to file the new data for those two agencies. Um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, the transportation aspect also includes, and, and here I'll be self-serving, uh, also includes uh, raw materials and metals and such. Is that correct? For, for yeah. Uh, if it, if, under one of the two that you just spoke about. Um, Lacey, well, not, go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. Possibly Lacey and certainly uh, auto parts under NHTSA, but, and then come uh, summer or throughout the summer, there's going to be a lot more. You know, the agriculture marketing service, so any type of, like, agriculture products, things like olives and the size of olives are going to be uh, required. Um, the Center for Disease Control, Consumer Product Safety, all these other agencies are going to drug enforcement, environmental protection agency, fish and wildlife, all these other agencies are going to have requirements that we submit electronic data. It's just we don't have to do that March 31st, but we're going to have to start doing that throughout the summer. By the end of 2016, they're all on board. Uh, Celeste, let me give you an opportunity to plug Kewl because Kewl is supplying the software. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We, we supply software to over 100 um, customs brokers in the, uh, for, you know, for this ACE project. Okay, so to the customs broker, not to the government itself. No, not to the government itself. To the customs brokers, we do have a few importers that we um, that we have as customers, but for the most part, their um, customs house brokers are our target um, group for this. Okay, and you and Amy sit on a panel with the government. Can you give our listeners an idea of what that is? Yeah, it's the um, commercial um, operations. Uh, uh, committee. Basically, we advise um, Customs, Homeland Security, and Treasury on matters that relate to international trade. Um, basically, they'll, a lot of, a lot of times, from we, the, things can go two ways. The trade will come up with ideas on how we think certain things should work and present that to Customs and, you know, try to get their buy-in and an agreement that, um, you know, that may, these might be good ideas or things to look at to do. And then it goes the other way, where they'll they'll have ideas, and they'll um, present that to us to, um, um, you know, to kind of kick around and see um, how we think that should that should get implemented. Um, Amy, I'm sure you can add more. <laughs> well, mainly you said it all, really, Celeste. We advise the government, and we are supposed to be representing the trade. So when we see issues that we think are going to be of a concern to importers or exporters, we raise that to the highest levels, really, at Customs and Treasury uh, so that our concerns are heard. And um, it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting group serving on the COAC because we do have a strong voice in how decisions are made. And our voices are heard, and we have seen CBP and other government agencies revise some of their plans based on the feedback that they get from this group, from the COAC uh, group. Now, Amy, I just want to ask you for a moment, the customs brokers that are impacted by this, in your estimation, are they ready for this to begin to roll out? That's a good question, and it's one that we are agonizing over every day 
In addition to the other hats that I wear, I'm the Vice President of the National Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association. We have over a 1,000 members of that association. The NCBFAA, which Celeste is also a member, by the way, uh, the NCBFAA has been active in educating our members for years now. As soon as customs make clear their plan to upgrade their existing system, which we said was ACS, to move to the more modern, um, more scalable type system of ACE, we endeavored to educate our members. We called in software providers like Celeste. We had meetings uh, with customs and our software providers to try to make sure that the broker members were ready for the transition that's occurring right now. I will tell you that it is my belief that there are still some brokers out there who have not heard the message. And there's only so much we can do. We have, we have led, we have uh, cajoled, we have uh, done everything we could to encourage our members to get on board. And Celeste, you've been a part of that campaign almost right from the very beginning because we've done it in conjunction with the software providers. And all I can say is if there are brokers out there who are not prepared for this transition, uh, it's unfortunate for them, but they've had the opportunity handed to them for several years now. And, and, I, and I'm concerned about them, but it's a little late now if they haven't started the process of transitioning. Because I'm, as I said earlier, it's not really been an easy transition I think the end game is going to be a positive for not just all, of, you know, for us brokers, but I really think it's going to be a positive for, for the nation in general, assuming that everything works the way it's supposed to. So I can't, I can't be overly sympathetic for brokers who have not joined in on this campaign to get the job done. And I think there's going to be very few that are not ready. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I know we've, we've polled all of our customers to, to see where they're at. And, you know, unfortunately, there, this, this, we did this a few weeks ago just to get a, a pulse for people. And, unfortunately, there were a couple people that were still just starting. And, you know, we kind of, fortunately, they're smaller brokers. They only have, you know, a smaller number of transactions. So, hopefully, their, their implementation may not be um, as onerous, but we definitely encourage them to, to get moving on this. Particularly, one of the aspects that, that is going to be required um, starting on Thursday, is, is software that's been actually in place with customs and stuff that we've had available for three years, is it now, Amy? Um, with the oh, it, summary? Yeah. It's been at least that long, I think. You know, so, so people have had um, the opportunity to start transitioning that long ago for, for just a part of it. The, um, the cargo release part is, um, is, is the part that's fairly new and, and is more problematic. But um, you know, so we you know we've had people that haven't even started um, looking at that from you know. Well, I has I hazard to guess what's the consequences if a particular broker is not ready on you know doomsday. What what happens? I think what's going to happen is CBP Customs and Border Protection has made it very clear to the trade that they will not bring trade to a stop. They will not hold up cargo. They won't clog up the borders. And we were concerned about that because let's say you've got five brokers and we all have our act together and we're doing everything 
electronically and properly, but there's one broker who isn't, are, is that truck or is that cargo going to be held up someplace which will clog up all the cargo behind it? The answer has been no. The answer has been customs will facilitate the trade. But what they will do, and they have come out with a message warning the trade, that if we are not in compliance or if we're not conforming to their requirements come March 31st, they will take appropriate enforcement action. Generally, when customs word something like that, what they mean is they will start issuing what we call compliance warnings or compliance notices. They'll basically send us a letter and say, you are out of compliance and you need to bring yourself into compliance or you're going to get some kind of monetary penalty. So we expect that they'll probably start sending threatening letters to those who are unable to uh, bring themselves into compliance. We also have history with customs in matters such as these that they look at past compliance. So if they find that the broker has been trying or you know, has a history or a past of trying to comply and maybe has run into some kind of technical difficulty but they have shown a pattern of uh, attempted compliance, Customs is, is usually um, pretty responsive to efforts to comply, even if we can't reach full compliance. So I don't think that it's going to be the kind of doomsday, even for the broker who's not ready. But I do think if the broker doesn't bring him or herself into readiness pretty rapidly, there may be um, dire consequences and by dire, it would mean that they would have to file absolutely everything in a paper format, and they would be the last on the list to be uh, dealt with, and that would hold up their customers. And if their customers, if our customers are held up for any reason, um, you know, we, don't, we won't keep our customers. We'll lose our customers because they have an expectation that we know what we're doing and that we're going to do it properly and we're going to facilitate their cargo. So I think at the end of the day, if a broker is not ready, uh, he or she will, first of all, have, be subjected to compliance activity from customs and also possibly um, disgruntled customers who will seek uh, other brokers to handle their, uh, their, their work. But Celeste made a really good call out that I want to enforce, and that is size in this game really does matter. A smaller broker who has, let's say, a limited number of commodities or just a few clients and they ship similar goods all the time will probably have an easy go of transitioning than a kind of broker who is a large broker who has clients all over the place with all kinds of commodities, with all kinds of modes of transportation and a variety of complexities. Uh, and 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 agencies, many many uh, participating government agencies, those brokers have the more difficult challenge of transitioning because they have to do absolutely everything. Oh wow! Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be back with Celeste Catano, who's senior global strategist at Keywell, and Amy Magnus, director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer. After a few words from our sponsors. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 
30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we're talking with Celeste Catano, Senior Global Strategist at Keywell, and Amy Magnus, Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer. And I just want to go to Amy for a second here. Amy, what's the difference between a freight forwarder and a broker? <laughs> what a good question. Most of us are both. Ah, okay. If you are strictly a freight forwarder, though, and not a broker, then what you do is you are responsible for booking freight, moving freight, making sure that freight gets from point A to point B. If you are a broker and not a freight forwarder, all you do is work directly with customs, transmitting data and information that covers the importation or the exportation for the customs data requirements and the participating government data requirements, and you are not involved with or responsible for the movement, the physical movement of the cargo. So the broker alone transmits data and information to secure the release or the export of commercial goods, and the freight forwarder works with the physical movement of the freight. So the broker moves the data, and the freight forwarder moves the freight. Oh, that's a great definition. That's very but helpful. The freight forwarder doesn't usually, it, they can, but they don't usually own the, um, the transportation. They don't own the trucks. They don't own the trains. They don't own the planes. But they book the cargo on trains, boats, planes, trucks, you name it. They book the cargo. But okay, a lot of brokers well, do both. We do both. Uh, Many brokers do both. And, and I, I guess we haven't given you an opportunity to explain what Derringer is. Why don't you share with our audience 
what Derringer is and what Derringer does. Well, I think what Derringer does is we're a complete trade solution. We are a freight forwarder. We do operate as a freight forwarder. We do book freight. Uh, we book freight from all around the world to all points around the world. We have warehouses in the United States where we store cargo, we store goods. We have pick and pack operations out of our warehouses. We do have some trucks, but not a lot, but we have some trucks. So we're actually a carrier um, with, our, with our trucks that go back and forth in and out of Canada and bring goods. So we do all of the freight aspect of a trade move. We do all of the brokerage that's required and we take care of any other government agency requirement as well to ensure that cargo gets from one point to another across, inter across international borders. And if we don't have offices or if we're not there, we have agencies, agents and contacts all around the world who assist us in this process. And what's the website address? It is anderinger.com. And it's D-E-R-I-N-G-E-R, A-N-Derringer.com. Great, thanks. Uh, I'm curious, uh, does this ACE program also involve Canada? Is it all borders? No. It does not. Well, it involves shipments from, shipments from Canada or from any place in the world. Anything right now, anything being imported into the U.S. is the primary focus. Um, for this new ACE programs. But it's, um, a good, it's a good question, though, Celeste, because in our work in the COAC, we have been talking with Canada and Mexico about the concept of the single window, which is where government data goes into one system, whether it's for customs or other government agencies. And Canada is looking very closely at what the United States has done, and they have a single window initiative as well. And there have also been talks with Mexico. So while ACE only services the U.S. government, there are other governments who have looked to the United States and their automated processes, not necessarily to replicate, but to learn from. Just as we've learned from, let's say, the Australian launch of their automated system. A uh, question then. Uh, Celeste, ACE is for imports. It's not an export system. Is that wrong or right? No, it's it's partially right. Um, okay. The main focus right now is is the imports, but they are they have been adding um, functionality for export manifests, um, uh, being able to send documents to customs electronically through a document imaging system for exports. Um, so they are doing some things for exports. Um, and later in the year, there's going to be um, being able to report um, information electronically for government agencies that require information at, at time of export. Um, so that will be added to the system at that point. But right now, the focus is is pretty much all just imports. Okay. Okay. Now, we have been telling people in some of our shows when we touch on this subject that they should pick up the phone and call their broker or freight forwarder or the company that does both and ask them, are you in compliance 
with ACE or are you ACE ready? Uh, I think that's a fair question for them to ask. Would it would that be true, Amy? Oh, absolutely. And obviously your listeners have heard you because we get that question almost every day from our customers. We have tried to tell them all along that we're ready, but we still get emails and calls from our customers asking us about our ACE readiness. And I think if if there's an importer listening on this today and you have not reached out to your broker to ask that question, I highly recommend that you you ask them to assure you that, that the broker is ready. Is there anything is there the some government kind issues of... that says <laughs> they're ready, they're certified? Um, there's no certification for the brokers themselves, but customs did require the software vendors to be certified um, and make sure that we can handle, our software can handle all the different combinations of um, shipments that need to be done. So we've had to be certified, and each broker that um, tells customs um, you know, I'm using Keywill software um, to be able to file the, the entries, and then so customs knows at what level they're at, or you know, what level of compliance they can they can handle. So, um, so the brokers themselves don't have to be. So um, our customers, for example, um, they just call up the broker, and the broker says, "Oh, yeah, we're we're compliance, we're good. We're just they're just supposed to accept that. There's no other." Serial numbers, certificate, uh, anything other than the word. Right. <laughs> I don't know, Amy, if you guys are doing anything specific. or No, and, and, you know, you bring up a point, and the point is, yes, the if the broker says they're ready, then, you know, the broker probably is ready. They'll find out come March. <laughs> If they're not ready, but as I said, and I think you know, for the most part, most brokers really are ready. And uh, if they're not really ready, I think that they'll get ready really, really fast because they're not going to have a choice. And I think customs is going to work. I really do believe there was a time when we were very concerned as the trade, and these were the things that we raised at the COAC meeting and other venues that we have available to us to talk to customs that they needed to be very careful how they proceed uh, come the deadline because if trade is interrupted in any way at all, it's going to affect our economy. And Customs has repeatedly assured that that's not going to happen. So even though I don't want to give anybody a pass for not being ready, I think importers are going to be safe for the first few weeks anyway. Okay, thank you. That's, uh, That's an important point. So, Celeste, this really is a system that impacts the customs broker because they're the one moving the data, as Amy said. Uh, I know it has a an impact on the freight forwarder, but it's the customs broker that has to be ready. Is that right? Right. At this point, yes, it's the customs brokers that need to uh, to make sure that they have what they need. Yeah. And does that eventually flow then to freight forwarders at some point? so that they have to do something so they can pass their data to their customs broker digitally so the customs broker can pass it to the government? Yes, that actually has been going on um, to some degree. Um, a lot of times the, um, the brokers will use the data 
um, and to be able to feed their systems in an automatic fashion so that they don't have to be the ones keying in all that data. They can just use that to load um, shipments and try to use as much of that um, the, the data from either the forwarders or directly from a lot of a lot of them they get uh, data directly from the importers as well um, and so they can use all of that um, that data um, without having to rekey everything okay well to wrap this up Amy is there anything in addition you want to share with our listeners uh, as we bring this segment to a close well I just want to reiterate that it is an amazing achievement that we have all been able to get as far as we have gotten and that I think that people are going to be okay come March 31st and they're going to be okay because their software vendors and their brokers have been attentive to these deadlines and are going to make sure that nothing is held up. Yeah, I think what I've been hearing, um, some people say they're kind of equating this to a Y2K where everybody, you know, did everything in their in their power to make sure that all their software was ready and everything was was all set for you know the, the stroke of midnight, and um, and basically nothing happened. So for the people that have been working diligently to get everything ready, um, come Thursday it should be a non-event. Um, obviously there may be last-minute things that that still go wrong, but for the most part, you know, it should it should kind of flow through. Well, it's the way I'm it, hoping. Sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you folks uh, have done a, a superb job in pulling it together. Hopefully, it will implement a little better than healthcare.gov did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it sounds but, like it will. Yeah. Celeste, thank yeah. you for joining us on the show. We appreciate the insight from uh, Keyville's perspective and your expertise on it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And, Amy, thanks again for being back with us. Uh, we appreciate what Darren here is doing, and thanks for sharing all the information you did with our listeners. I'm delighted to be a part. Thank you. And that wraps us up on that section of the show. Lou, you were uh, referring to something that uh, is happening with the uh, credit manager's index, I think. Uh, I thought you held up something you wanted to go over there. No, nothing. Okay. Well, no, I, think- I was just—I uh, was just reminding you about next week's show and uh, the Institute of Supply Management uh, and our one of our favorite people, Brad Holcomb, uh, committee chair for uh, the report on business, and he'll be joining us, uh, giving uh, us the uh, latest, uh, latest and greatest update. And we also have uh, Chris. Keel, Ph.D. economist with the FMA and the uh, Armada Corporate uh, Intelligence, and uh, he'll be adding his uh, sense of the numbers and sense of humor at the same time. So uh, I look forward to that. Chris is always a fun guy to listen to. He's uh, always got a, a great insight and has got some great uh, analogies that he ties to his information. That wraps us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio this week. Be sure to tune in next week to catch Chris Keel and Brad Holcomb as we find out what's happening in some pretty key indexes and as we look forward to uh, how the manufacturing economy is doing forward. And thank you for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.